0: Freya, the Fierce Mystic, onto our Wild Grace podcast. Um, You're here with Natalia and... Oh, I thought we just broke up for a second, but no, we're back. Uh, We're here to discuss all things pleasure and trauma and orgasm and somatic bodywork and all those juicy topics that I love and is really what this Wild Grace podcast is all about, Like going into the topics that are a little bit more taboo and controversial, but ultimately standing for the truth of our humanity and our true nature, which Frey, I feel like that's really what your work is about. It's just showing up in your authenticity, in your brokenness. This is who I am. I'm human and I have all these fucked up layers so here I am. <laughs> and I feel like well, we invite them into the space <laughs> I love that you're like let's invite the fucked up like, Great, awesome. You know? all the things
1: <laughs> yeah well I think that um you know one of the things that I think we have been Sorry, my eyes water sometimes. I'm not crying. Just you know, this like wiping my eyes. I'm, I'm, I'm not being moved to tears yet. Um, yeah. <laughs> but um, one of the things I think that we've really uh, um, suffered under, brought into, um, encouraged the institutionalization of is like the anti-human. What I call the anti-human movement.
0: Mm-hmm. You know
1: which is like pretty much all of the transcendental approaches, um, all of the anti-emotion, the emotion denying, the spiritual bypass, um, a lot of the like the narcissistic structures um, that have kind of operated the world and have forced people to deny their own nature and to, you know be nice girls or you know I used to be told all the time by my grandmother when I was growing up and she comes from a different generation so let's acknowledge that but like be nice Mm -hmm. you know you'll catch more flies with honey than with vinegar I'm like I don't want to fucking catch flies like I don't want (laughs) like you know but it's like the end I think the anti-human movement is like essentially you know which we see in spirituality and in a lot of culture and the denial of the impacts of trauma which our generation are so lucky to have language around um, it's really been the denial of our human nature you know and I think that you know I used to be really pro-enlightenment um, in terms of like the transcendental way and I didn't even think it was the transcendental way but nowadays I'm like I don't even know what that is and really I just want to get as close to my own essence and be that as possible because I feel like that is God you know which I think maybe if if back in the day with the traditions if they had electricity and running water they might not have wanted to get away from their humanness so much you know but um yeah so pro the human essential experience
0: yeah and yeah if we have a look at the like the medical model, for example, and the way that that's shifted in recent times. So the 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 medical model is something that's yeah the the way that institutionalisation was was run and has recently started to shift. Like in the last twenty years, and um, human rights have really started to acknowledge the effects of mental health. So it's, there's really been a shift, mm. recently, which is amazing. But that was a suppression of You know, all aspects of our being, and that there's supposed to be one way. And if you're Mm. having too many emotions, well, let's suppress it and let's hide it with uh, medication or uh, put you into a mental health facility and. There was it's a fear really like it, it's a fear of going into it of really uh, allowing it to be seen allowing it to be expressed and there's something that's happening now with yeah going into the dark and moving away mm. from the light but I think it's beautiful to be able to go into the shadows and to be able to go into our depths in that way but mm. I think that should be an embodiment of both the light. And the dark, it's 100%. Well, sometimes go, they go into the polarity of it, and I've noticed that with myself. Like, I'll go really deep into my shadows, and then, oh, well, what about the light? And I feel this aversion to go there. It's like, oh, it's uh, you know, too too loving, it's too fluffy, but actually, mm. I'm yearning inside of me to go to that lighter place as well, mm. and I feel it all really.
1: Mm. Yeah, Yeah, because I guess it's about integration, isn't it? And it's like, it's very easy for the world to get stuck in binary thinking, Mm -hmm. which is so ironic when we're in an era where people are really talking about non-binary ways of being, but so much of that even conversation is very binary in its actual thinking. And I think that kind of, and I don't want to go too far over there, but it's like that kind of split between our lightness and our darkness is very binary. You know, you're either good or you're bad. And it's like actually we're all of those things um i am all of those things definitely but you know i i do want to say that i think that um i think there is a place in some cases for medication Um, like for instance if someone is in a heightened psychotic state i think that there is a place for medication and i think if someone is intensely suicidal and is terrified they're going to take their own life then there might be a place for antidepressants But I think that and probably what you're pointing to is the over medication of our society and trying to use band-aids to just plaster over something that's a deeper issue. Like in my psych studies, I haven't yet seen anyone say in the countless hours of reading medical papers and textbooks, except in some papers I read about EMDR, which I'm such a fan of and I'm going to be studying next year but I never heard anyone say or read anyone say that trauma can be one of the root causes for depression Mm. and and that's kind of what you're pointing to I think when you're saying like to go into our shadows and explore our shadows as much as exploring our light is to understand the emotional depths that cause us to feel the things that the medical model has wanted to just medicate away because it's a quick fix and the thing is is that there are no quick fixes and healing is a journey of encountering ourselves and loving ourselves with all the broken pieces and the parts that we don't like and the things that society says is bad as well as the things that are quote-unquote good you know that maybe we even rebel against so yeah integration I guess which is what you're pointing to with what you said
0: yeah And also there are so many layers to trauma. Firstly, there's how we experience it in the moment, our physical response, our emotional response, the way that it's stored in our body, whether Mm. uh, it it presents later in in an externalized or an internalized way, but then there's the karmic Uh, like the karmic imprint of that as well you know where has this trauma played out uh, in our in our in our lineage where is trauma stored in our dna maybe there's Mm. compiled trauma so Mm. and that's where epigenetics comes in isn't it yeah yeah Mm. Uh, so that's uh yeah what concerns me about the normalization of medication Mm. is that it's just yeah as you said it's just putting a band-aid over it without really going to the root so the root never gets a chance mm. to be excavated never has a chance to breathe and so you just like the way mm. that i say is that there's a there's like a backlog of trauma mm. yeah and i just worry mm. about future generations who keep storing that in their dna and mm. wow like at what point is uh yeah like the, the western model going to recognize that actually like medication can be part of a treatment but there needs to be an exploration of all the other parts and i i think it is getting there it's slowly moving i think it's up. getting there i you think that. it's experiencing a lot of pressure from yeah you know
1: you know and i even with like people like Bessel van kelk who i love you know who wrote the body keeps the score and talks about how trauma is held in the body like he experienced so much backlash from the you know from apa from what i understand from the american psychiatric association you know who are the people who kind of create the medical model in a way but he even spoke about like he would go to psych wards and and with people who were like catatonic you know and but when they'd come come to in moments or people who had schizophrenia he was like no one ever asked them about their trauma history yeah you know it's wild so yeah it has to be integrated and I do believe that maybe it's because I'm an idealist and I'm hopeful Mm. um, you know but I like (laughs) I mean there's just there are so many like trauma therapies like somatic experiencing is so deeply respected like psychologists go and do somatic experiencing trainings in order to become trauma-informed because psychology itself actually isn't trauma-informed you know and that work is all in the body you know it's all about the body the sensations you know which is very similar to how I work and I think probably how the wild grace movement approaches working with movement and somatic experiences And so I think that, you know, an EMDR, which is one of the best trauma resolution therapies out there, um, all of these things are somatic and body-based. So my real hope, and especially as within culture, like you see it in memes on Instagram and stuff, right? It's like there is beginning to be so much more cultural awareness around trauma and um, emotional intelligence around communication and things like this, that my real hope is that that cultural shift puts pressure on the um, psychiatric and the medical model medical model institutions in order to kind of integrate and broaden their perspective. And I I think that part of this is really informed by the people who do research. Like pretty much the people who do the research are the people who inform the medical model. But the the breadth and the depth and the and what comes out of the research is informed by the level of creativity and dare I say it, imagination and open-mindedness of the people who create the research studies. So people who create research studies that actually take into account things like trauma, like if you're not measuring trauma, then there's never going to be any information that comes out of that research about trauma. But if those researchers create um, studies that actually take that into account, then that can start informing the medical model, and I think that we are a new generation of people who are actually much more deeply connected to their bodies, much more deeply connected to emotions. You know, we're not just so willing to brush things under the carpet. Um, And we're not, and there are a lot more, there's a lot more understanding of people who like you were talking about, like when you're talking about karmic imprints, you know, and things like this and people who are essentially cycle breakers, you know, people who are in their family and their ancestry, It's just like, okay, was that genetic that like generation after generation was sexually abused or was it that those behaviours were passed on to generation and generation and it's imprinted like in your soul or it's imprinted in your DNA or your karmic, like your ancestral karma, you know, and then we have these people who have to bear the brunt of actually transforming that and i think in society we're starting slowly to have an understanding of who those people are and what that costs and being able to actually support it so i am an optimist at heart even though sometimes (laughs) i do get a bit upset so that's my hope you know for the medical model and kind of integrating more um alternate ways of um viewing things
0: because there's only so much that the mind can process so if someone goes into trauma it, you know it can be flight or fight or freeze and that Ooh. is a, a bodily primal experience that our advanced human mind cannot process yeah it needs to be a, a complete a complete process of body mind soul every yeah. everything that needs to be on board
1: yeah well it's older it's much older than the prefrontal cortex right yeah it's like When you go into freeze or collapse you know which you know can be seen as like a like a physical response like literally people freeze up it can also be that feeling of hopelessness or powerlessness like that is collapse you know um but that's like a that's not that's that response that that fear response was created long before we evolved a prefrontal cortex like Mm -hmm. when we see lizards when they get afraid like they literally freeze and they drop their tails Mm -hmm. and that's like those animals are much older than we are you know we're more evolved so we evolved new coping mechanisms like Let's talk. You know, like that's a new coping mechanism. You know, tell me how you're feeling. Like, no crocodiles. Like, how are you feeling today? Like, they don't do that. They're just like fuck. You know,
0: and <laughs> you then know? they move on with their life. They just keep seeing yeah. their fabulous life. So I recently had a- <laughs> fabulous crocodile life, <laughs> just chilling, swimming all day long. So- yeah, yeah, eating things. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Yeah, I recently um, experienced a trauma response and it was really conscious. So I went into freeze and I noticed my body shutting down and then my mind started to... It it was trying to... explain the situation or trying to find some sort of point of safety and logic as to what was happening to create more ease in the body it was interesting mm. to notice the communication between the two so that the body just does its own thing the body has an automatic response it's instinctual mm. to it, it's survival based to protect me and then mm-hmm. the mind came in trying to trying to soothe me and trying to release the body from this intensive mm-hmm. feeling.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah, it's, it's interesting to like to have had this training and to feel it, to notice it playing out. And um, what did
1: you notice as your mind was being present with that response in your body?
0: What did I notice in my mind?
1: Well, what did you notice with happened with your body when your mind became present to the freeze that was happening in your body?
0: Mm, there was there was still sensation in the body, but there was still this um, this like rigidity that mm. I feel is probably from the adrenaline that was being released. It was a rigidity, but there was still like there was still sensation, and I was still able to move, but it was still quite disconnected. But I do feel mm. it's because of the the, the surge of uh, adrenaline and. Yeah.
1: Do you feel because the reason why I'm asking you because this is one of the things that I'm really passionate about and interested in with because I work with women who've been through sexual trauma of some kind or and you know, my course pleasure after trauma deals specifically with helping women who've been through trauma feel sexual pleasure, feel their sense of power again. But this is one of the main pieces that people get so confused about is the freeze response Mm -hmm. and they feel so much shame about because they think oh I must be a coward or look I can't you know I couldn't speak up and that's something's wrong with me it's like no this is a primal response and when they start becoming aware of it and have more compassion for it usually it becomes easier to move through so I guess I'm curious because you're a very studied woman like you've studied a lot of things you've practiced a lot very broad experience in different types of modalities, and very trauma aware. Aware, and I'm curious. Like, do you feel that for yourself in this moment? And I imagine this will be really informative for all the people who are listening to this podcast. Do you feel that being present, even mentally, like even being present mentally with that freeze response, and have it sounded? That it didn't sound like you were fighting it. It sounded like you were being present with it and allowing it in some way. Do you feel that that helped you move through it more quickly? Like, how did that impact your capacity to be with and move through that experience that you were having?
0: Hmm. It enabled me to recover from it much quicker because I was aware. Yeah. I was able to work through it quicker, but the I, I did feel like the trauma was still in my body. Hmm. still felt it and it did take a few months Mm. uh, maybe six months for it to really release from my system but logically it all made sense logically and yeah when I applied my mind to it and I could explain everything really quite clearly Mm. but the body still remembers so there was still a lot of work that I had to do like a lot of movement a lot of dance a lot of shaking Mm. uh, a lot of Yeah, like vibrational work, like in that way, like really moving it out of the system, which is exactly what animals do after they yes, from they shake it out. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. That's the Peter Levine story about the gazelle, right? Yeah,
0: (laughs) that's the one we all know. That one (laughs) we love that one. (laughs) Yeah, and it takes time. And I I did notice I would go into yeah, like into judgment of myself, like why is this taking so long? Like I just want to, you know. Feel yeah. ease in my body, but I noticed my body would, it would go into contraction and then expansion, extra uh, uh, contraction expansion. And over mm. time, that uh, contraction expansion was less and less. Mm-hmm. Or there would be more time mm. in between. Mm. It-, it gradually moved from your system. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it does take time. It does. Yeah. Because yeah. we as humans hold on to we hold on to things and we hold on to stories as well. I read somewhere that our emotional response to something, like the physical response, is only 90 seconds. And anything beyond that is a story. Mm. Yeah, it's a story that the that the mind creates an emotional attachment. Mm. Are so complex it can even yeah, be I've heard that before. in the subconscious as well
1: mm. yeah yeah well it can connect in with already stored trauma that is around whatever it is you're experiencing and kind of compound it and enhance it right but I'm I think it's really interesting like what you were sharing because we my philosophy is the more that we create in the safety and also out of safety in our external world as much as we can i mean the world itself is inherently unsafe but we can be safe for ourselves and we can create safety for ourselves and we can choose our inner circle and our you know intimate relationships so those things are safe and nourishing but i you know one of the things that is my philosophy is that the more that we can create safety for ourselves and acceptance around the situation that happened, the more that we can then, as our system feels safe, release that freeze and that trauma, because that trauma is there for a reason, right? If we contract and feel frozen or numb, it's something happened, right? And we don't do it because there's, that we're faulty or there's something wrong with us. or we're not conscious enough or we're not spiritual enough. It's like, you no, know, your human body is trying to protect you in some way. And, and as, you maybe gain it sounds like you already had a lot of cognitive insight but as your system feels the safety like over time it can let it out somatically you know through those processes you were talking about
0: yeah and it's something that's beyond the mind especially with with freeze what I've started to do there every time I feel it I go into it I let myself completely submerge into the freeze, and that can be a really scary place to go to because yeah. you don't really know yes. what you're going to find. Every time I go there into the freeze, just let myself be overcome I find another piece. There's something else. It's mm. yeah, so some really niggly emotion that comes up, and it can be really overwhelming. But I notice mm. as soon as it releases, it's. I oh, feel my whole body relax and I can breathe lighter. Everything is just more at ease, but mm. hard. Mm. Well, I think you nailed it because, like, that's
1: kind of the definition of freeze, right? Like, and I talk about this a lot. It's like, because numbness is actually freeze, you know? And that, like, I work with a lot of women who feel like sexual numbness or emotional numbness. And it's like, well, that's compounded freeze, right? And it's like freeze isn't and numbness aren't the absence of sensation. It's a response to overwhelming sensation. So often it is scary to confront that freeze because underneath is a bunch of overwhelm, you know. But I really do believe that because it is like when you think about, it, I think you've kind of the way you've spoken about it really illustrates it so well. It's like the freeze itself is like the contraction in the body and like the disassociation of the mind from somatic awareness. And so there are many different types of movement and somatic practices we can do, but I really think that the movement and somatic practices, especially when done in certain ways, are some of the best ways to allow that to thaw out, you know, Mm -hmm. and then release and then release and integrate the underlying overwhelm that's created that freeze in the first place
0: yeah I'm just I had this image of ice melting and when it thaws it releases whatever's been trapped in the ice and if Mm. you have ice that's been frozen for a really long time it could have been Mm. since birth or since childhood you're going to be feeling things from that time Mm. and these are memories that you might not even have so uh, trying to understand what you're feeling is actually not even part of the process it's
1: just Mm, I think that's a typology thing like for me personally I like to understand what I'm feeling and that really helps me move forward I know for a number of people they don't necessarily need to understand I think that the understanding wait hang on let me clarify do you mean understand what you're feeling or do you mean understand exactly what happened
0: Understanding what happened, understanding what's, mm-hmm. oh, I'm feeling this emotion because I'm having an attachment to a particular, like a reason or a story as to why I'm feeling this grief and the sadness. Where is it coming from? Why, why, why? Rather than just sitting with it. Mm. noticing how the mind wants to attach to a story or to create something and I notice that that does happen for me I'm just like oh Mm. I want to figure it out what's the history of this emotion where did it come from why am I feeling this and yes, Mm. understanding does allow it to move faster through the body but if it's just coming up maybe just wants to move through and perhaps doesn't yeah
1: I think, I think that, that I, I've heard a lot of people and even with my clients, sometimes we work that way, but for a lot of people that can be helpful for them. For me personally, usually the understanding is really helpful but there can be like an edge to that where it's like mm-hmm. it can become obsessive. And maybe that's also part of what you're speaking to. So for me, like understanding might might not be like a specific incident. It's like, oh, well, this happened at this point. And it might the understanding might be for me just like, okay, this is how my nervous system is wired, you know, and, and that understanding itself, which is kind of like stepping back from a specific story and it's kind of taking a bit of a broader view, sometimes that level of understanding for me might be helpful. But I think um, that understanding piece, I think that's very, it can be very specific to different people around what's beneficial. And it sounds like that's very helpful for you. For me, I find it very difficult to I don't want to say move like move on but just like allow these things to move if there isn't also a level of cognitive understanding around what it is and that's just personal for me
0: Mm, it's um it's such an individual process as well like everyone's process is so unique
1: Mm.
0: and yeah I just love how rich this field is like there's so so much. Um, mm. I, I actually like wanted to ask you a bit about heart math. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, can you tell me a little bit about it? Sure.
1: I mean, I just did a short training with um, some of the heart math people in 2019, and um, it's so interesting. A lot of Joe Dispenser's work is um, influenced by the heart math crew, and um, I think the one of the main pieces that I got from that was it's so interesting because this can totally be taken as a way to spiritually bypass um however so I say that with a caveat but like the power of positive feelings to nourish and regenerate the nervous system and um and I might get into that in a minute but But also like one of the things that a couple of the things that was so interesting for me was understanding, you know, the heart has a ganglion nerve, which means that it stores, literally stores memories. (laughs) So like there can be cases, there's been a case of someone who had a heart transplant and then I think started being able to play the piano because the person who they had their heart transplanted from was a pianist. And so, you know, often um, when people, like for instance, people who've been through trauma um, and I've experienced this myself and they talk about this in the in the um, literature around um, panic attacks, but they phrase it in a different way. The way I'm going to phrase it is that when, if you've been through a lot of trauma as a kid and scary things happened, like when you get your heart rate up, you might start feeling fear. And I noticed for myself, like, when I went through very intense PTSD experience, when I was doing really hardcore workouts, which I was doing a lot because it really helped me regulate my nervous system, one of the things I would notice when my heart rate got up is I would start feeling terror, and I was like, "Oof, this is literally the terror of my childhood right now." I'm just going to keep doing squats, keep doing squats, keep going like <laughs> passing out of my system. But it was like that heart mass um, information that helped me understand that, and also. The piece that i learned from them is that um and i think some science people i don't know that the heart math people this is okay just so that i'm kind of indemnified from this it's like this is what the heart math people say <laughs> that it's actually the um the heartbeat that regulates that sends information to the amygdala which is the emotion regulating center in the brain it also processes fear. Um, to down regulate aka calm the amygdala so and that in turn when the amygdala is really on alert the prefrontal cortex which is the consciousness center turns down and so it's very hard to think clearly when you're in a like high stress response so what that means is essentially this is like the core that I understand of the heart math work is that when we can experience positive feelings such as love or gratitude inspiration of these things that sends messages to our amygdala to calm which turns on our prefrontal cortex allows us to think more clearly access consciousness and also what it does is it allows the nervous system to regulate so we have greater um, immunity we have better immunity and this has been shown extensively through the research papers around the impacts of positive feeling um, on physical health and also what they did with heart math is they they're the ones essentially who did the um the measurements of the magnetic field that come from the heart and the so we could translate this as the energy field right our, our energy body and so when we cultivate positive states and positive feelings and really allow ourselves to feel those feelings it cultivates our energy body it Densifies our energy body, and when I say densify, I don't mean it makes it heavier from weight. I mean there's more energy in a denser place, and the more energy that we have in our body, the denser our energy field, the more magnetic we become. You know, all that's the philosophy, anyway. So that's what I've heard.
0: (laughs) So like studies on randomized number studies, when when there's a certain amount of, of humans in a particular space. Like thousands of of humans and they're all there for a protest for example yeah randomized number machines start producing predictable numbers mm, I've heard that yeah yes, which that just that that blows my mind uh, but yeah. I've had a similar experience during Kirtan so mm. a, it's a chant uh, mm, devotional a chanting, chanting yeah, meditation and I've noticed my heart aligning with the other people in the room and that's exactly what kirtan does so you're mm. all at the same time so the heartbeats start mm. to align and i entered a s- extremely transcendental state i do every time and mm. just started losing uh touch with my physical self and i was just complete consciousness and then i fit started mm. with my body changing shape and morphing and just the mm. whole concept of time and space it was completely, yeah it, it completely disintegrated but I felt so connected yeah. to everyone else in the space so mm. what you're saying completely makes sense
1: mm. that's such a beautiful experience and I think that's why like you know in yoga there are eight limbs of yoga you know there are different things that we need to do to like cultivate our spiritual uh I don't really like saying this, but I can't think of the right word right now. Our points, (laughs) (laughs) spiritual points, like (laughs) our benefits or whatever. But it's like, you know, that cultivating that bhakti, they say in yoga, which is that devotion, you know, those positive feelings of love, of awe, of openness, of wonder. Like those things are so important in order to really open the heart, to open the energy field, you know, and those states can really deeply like they can release DMT you know I've definitely I've had really powerful experiences there's um the Dreaming Deep people Cashel Moore and his partner whose name I can't remember right now they play this amazing oh man Siggy would love this shit if she doesn't know of it already I need to tell her mm-hmm. but like they play this incredible music and they do these overnight rituals where they're playing this beautiful devotional music and you meditate or sleep to it. And I remember I went to one of their performances with some friends and they're like, okay, we're going to play some music now. And they played this music and we were all just meditating and it literally felt like five minutes. And then they called us back and they're like, so how long do you think you were there for? And we're like five minutes. He was like, we were playing for 45 minutes. Wow. And it's like time totally altered because this, this beautiful altered state of devotion and also the way that the music interacted with the brain waves and sent us into deeper brainwave states you know like probably we're in theater states I imagine you know that really triggered a massive DMT release in the brain so that we can like have altered perception like you don't have to take plant medicine I have devotion for plant medicine but you don't have to take plant medicine to access those DMT states the reason why I said that about yoga talks about the eight different limbs of yoga Um, and I think that you've kind of already referenced this in in the way that you've been speaking like even in that the beginning of this call is that that devotion and cultivating those positive states is so deeply important but I think that the danger is is when people start using those states as a way to spiritually bypass like what you referenced to as like the shadow or like it was we've talked about trauma and so it's important to be able to take actual action in the life so you're not just living in the spiritual world visit your traumas integrate them but also cultivate those positive states as a way of revitalizing your nervous system and accessing that place that is so important which is that god experience you know and it's i think that's vital for our spirits to feel alive and inspired
0: yeah well there can also be you know, it's not just a spiritual bypassing, but it's also an externalisation and a over-reliance or maybe even like a codependency on, you know, mm. like medicines just like, you know, with the Western model medication uh, mm. just uh, the the version of the, the spiritual realms or under the umbrella of spirituality. Mm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Do you think that it's, it's possibly, because I, I have this, You know, in Buddhism, they talk about the hell realms Mm -hmm. and there's like the hungry ghost realm. Yeah. And to me, that hungry ghost realm is the realm of addiction. It's like, so for the people who are listening, the hungry ghosts are these ghosts that wander the earth and they're so hungry and they keep feeding themselves, but their stomachs are empty. So everything they put inside of themselves just falls out the bottom, right? And it's like this endless pain of never being satisfied. And to me, like consumerism, addiction, narcissism, like all of these things are kind of that hell realm of the hungry ghost. And I kind of see in a way like the people who are going and doing ayahuasca every single weekend and they're not taking the time to integrate the very important messages that are coming and also doing the complementary trauma therapy work that ayahuasca will not do for you to me, that's kind of like it's a spiritual bypass, but it's also a hungry ghost behavior. It's like yeah. constantly needing to have that peak state experience and not being able to be present with the fulfilling pleasures of the everyday. In a way, well, there's a sense
0: that it it it, it does keep you bound the way that addiction is binding uh, mm. to continue to to take and more and more and to just feel uh, like the hunger is still not it hasn't been satisfied and that's because the integration hasn't had time to take place and there hasn't been the space to actually go into the core wounding and that's Mm. why the hunger is still there because there's this need soothing and just grabbing on yeah I'm doing the clicky finger clapping thing thing. (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 and for me personally after sitting with plant medicine the real medicine comes the week after or a couple of weeks Mm. later when I'm just feeling the reflection of the world and noticing how my wounding is coming up and how it's being received and how it's playing out in my life and working with it in in that way but yes also having some guidance around it as well Mm. I, I don't think there is you know, only just the one way I feel that encompassing all the modalities and feeling it's yeah. our particular medicine at a time, at a particular time is, yeah. um, and it's all, it's individual always.
1: Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, and just like with what you're saying about, um, you know, integrating these different modalities and acknowledging like the different individual journey with it, which I think that that is really important because i don't think there is any cookie-cutter way to go through our trauma and spiritual journey i think that our soul guides that journey and that even the fuck ups and the mistakes are the journey mm-hmm. um but like i know the mis quote-unquote mistakes that i've made you know of really misusing my spiritual practices a lot and really going into spiritual bypass or the delusions that I've been in, that was a part of the journey and it's taught me so much and it makes me humbler um, to to recognising that I am able to make mistakes and that I need to be aware of my blind spots. But what you were saying about like the, the integration of the different modalities, like one of the things that I'm really excited about at the moment is how, in California at least, like they're starting to reopen research into psychedelic psychotherapies and like the maps people i don't mean minor attracted people aka pedophiles i'm not talking about those people we don't like those people i'm talking about like the the people i can't even remember what it stands for do you know what that stands for the psychedelic assisted psychotherapy people that they're called maps i can't remember what it stands for anyway but but they're essentially like starting to reintroduce um using psilocybin or cannabis or ketamine or mdma or ayahuasca in a psychotherapeutic setting and it's there's there are being studies done on it and it's being made legal so that you know we can actually start integrating this into you know the western way of doing therapies um but to me it's very much it's thera- it can be therapeutic, but it's also starting to expand in and open up towards the spiritual as well and make space for the unknown, you know that that force that does move us that we don't necessarily have control over. and I find that really exciting.
0: Yeah, and the thing is with psychedelics is that they open they allow you to go to those places of trauma. You know they allow you to go into the uncomfortable, and um, yeah, I actually have a friend who's just recently signed up for for one of these, but it's a it's a it, it's still a trial, um, and that's the thing that they're still trialing it. But um, from the past studies that they have done, like I know, I know that Europe um, in Sweden there there was uh, MDMA studies, and they were very successful. Mm. very potent and mm. they really helped many people and mm. i think if there is like if the guidance is there and people are guided mm. on their journey and assisted then yeah i think the results could be amazing and um, i don't know if you've seen fantastic fungi no no so it's a documentary on mushrooms, and they go a little bit of uh, about uh, medicinal mushrooms, and suggesting that the way the primates evolved into humans was by eating mushrooms, and so the brain developed mm. in the way that it was. It was it was kind of like a fast tracked development. Wow. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And just this whole concept of uh microdosing as well, and just having mm. a little bit just to kind of like strengthen the synaptic connections and to create new connections. And mm. um, yeah, mycelium is all about it's it's the network. Mm.
1: The network. So mm. yeah, and they've shown that um you know people when I mean, like the, the 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 psilocybin studies on people who are about to die, mm. and how much like peace it gives people who are about to die with death. But also, like they've shown that when people do do psychedelics, that it does cause um, a. I don't want to say permanent, but like pretty permanent. They say permanent, but is anything permanent in the brain? Because the brain is so plastic; like it can change. Um, a permanent shift in the brain towards greater trait openness like on the big five personality scale um but there's a, there's a story I'd like to tell you actually just because i think that i think that psychedelics can be amazing when coupled with a regular meditation practice and proper trauma therapy and yeah you know as you said an integrative approach but i personally see these um Plants substances as they they can be helpers, but they can also be tricksters as well. And like I I see a lot of their consciousness kind of as um it's a part of the David Kingdom, but it's like also can be very much like deity consciousness, Mm -hmm. you know. And for legal reasons, I won't say which country I was in when I had this experience, but like I remember like. I don't, I don't really do, I don't do drugs really at all. And I very rarely do um, plant medicines, but when I do, it's extremely intentional and um, I do a lot of integration work around it. Um, so I just want to like preface what I'm about to say with that. Um, I don't even really drink alcohol, like maybe three times a year, I'll like have two drinks and be like, Woo! <laughs> you know, like I'm having a great time. But this one time um, a friend of mine um, a person who I know offered me some cannabis and I was having like, I was in a really intense period of my life and I was just like, fuck it. I'm just going to have some because like, I really need to chill out. (laughs) And so like, I was really not in a good place. I just needed a laugh anyway. So when I was on my own, I like set up my space. I put on this beautiful music and, and like sat with the cannabis and i met cannabis because so in my very early 20s like when i was living like in europe i had because everyone around me was like smoking a lot of weed i had also like smoked a lot of weed and like i got to a point where i was like this is not good for me and i at 23 i stopped taking all drugs i stopped drinking alcohol i just went completely sober and you know have been like that pretty much ever since um but it was abused it was approached with like an attitude of like abusing it and taking from it and just using it as a good time which if you want to do that good for you I'm not judging you I'm just going to share like my experience with this but this one time um when this person gave me this cannabis to use and and I was using it in a way that I was really trying to connect deeply with myself and explore myself I met cannabis um sorry this light is so awkward like I'm blind isn't working like I've broken it somehow so it's like the sun is so intense like yeah so just very near
0: penetrating
1: (laughs) yeah it is it's like right I'm like ah my eye (laughs) um anyway um so this this time that I was using it I met cannabis as a medicine Mm. and like I was moving around on the floor like doing all of this weird shit like as one does I was like having such a great time I was like this is so
0: fun (laughs) I was having
1: such a great time I hadn't laughed in months anyway and um I was like doing certain things and I was feeling like different nadis, like different energy lines activating and different energy centers opening I was like oh this is like like what they talk about in yoga with the different (laughs) nardies like and like the the medicine of cannabis was like yeah where do you think they got it from and I was like oh my god of course (laughs) of course because you see like the 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 sadhus going around smoking the chillums they're just like smoking chillums all the time which is you know cannabis anyway so I kept like doing my different like shaking and like moving my body and 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 cannabis was like you know you can use me Anytime as a medicine, if you would like. And I was like, kind of like, oh, that's cool, but also like, I'm not sure about you. <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm a little scared. And I was kind of like, anyone who doesn't understand this is going to be listening to this thinking that I'm schizophrenic or something. I don't know. But like, I was having a conversation in my head with the consciousness of this medicine, and um, and she was like, um, you can use me as a medicine whenever you want. And I was like, okay, thank you, but. I guess like if you're medicine then why are so many people who use you fucked up because like you think of like the traditional stoner who's just like Mm -hmm. pale not living their life and she said she was like because I misuse people who misuse me Mm. and I was just like whoa you know like that is like deep and I really got that these medicines are so potent and powerful and they are in that deity level of consciousness that you can approach them and ask for what you want but if you approach with entitlement and demands you may get what you want but you'll get it with a slap in your fucking face but if you approach with deep devotion and reverence and gratitude and humility and a willingness to take on the lessons and be humble then you can be given so much and so i think like i want to just put that into our conversation about psychedelics and encourage people that if you are approaching these plants and these substances that you just be aware of the way in which you approach them because that way of approaching them can definitely dictate whether it's like addiction or whether that you're using it as medicine and being treated that way essentially
0: yeah well the intention is everything you know where the intention is that's where the, the energy will focus in mean, that that's a classic uh, Joe Dispenza for you but I had yeah an experience sitting with ayahuasca recently where I set a pretty strong intention um and I regretted it later on <laughs> but okay. yeah, yeah my, my intention was to meet the seed of the, the seed that's within me of judgment and self-criticism mm. and, and um yeah projection and for the whole ceremony I was sitting in so much like nausea and discomfort I felt Mm. like really being vibrated out of me and every time I had a thought like the fire is too hot this person is breathing too loudly or I don't like this song you know every little thing or I'm not comfortable I would purge so it was it was agonizing but I wow. felt like I had set that intention and mm-hmm. that for me was the medicine to really feel the density and the heaviness of judgment and projection and yeah of self-criticism mm-hmm. like to feel that heaviness and actually there was a lot of pain and grief in there as well so mm-hmm. intention is everything I probably should have added on with grace at the end <laughs> <laughs> Please mm. allow this to be a graceful journey. Yes, that's a good request. Yes. <laughs> that's a really great good one. I <laughs> just went in head first. I just smashed up right <laughs> yeah. that one. Yeah. Mm. So creating a, a strong intention and coming in with with reverence mm. and humility mm. and treating it as a medicine because yeah, something like cannabis, that's uh it's it's a hallucinogen. It's a really powerful. Mm medicine that mm. definitely been a, i mean tobacco as well mm. uh, the tobacco plant is actually one of them it, it actually is the most powerful medicine to sit with uh from the amazon but the way that it's been uh you know abused now it's like a lot of its natural properties are gone but being completely degraded yeah, yeah and now it's just completely in this like addictive mm. Um, mm. form and same with cocaine and cocaine is mm. you know it's a whole the ball game uh, yeah. but chocolate as well you know cacao yeah i remember i sat with keith
1: famous mm. keith the cacao shaman in guatemala who's That's kind it. of the guy who's like brought cacao to the masses in a way mm. and like when i sat with him in the cacao ceremony I was like, I have been eating chocolate my whole life and I never actually met it until Mm. now. It was because it's not chocolate, it's cacao. It's like really beautiful, creative, like subtle, but powerful. And yeah, as you say, it's like the spirit of it definitely is not
0: acknowledged at all. I've been journeying with cacao for the last few years and she's been an incredible, incredible teacher so heart opening and loving mm-hmm. and earthy as well I've f- I found a lot more grounding mm. in my life after sitting with cacao but for me it was a journey of like letting go of the comforts right and really feeling the rawness of her so I know a lot of people like to add cinnamon or honey or you know like little additives just to to spice it up or to make it better and more palatable so why is chocolate the way that it is now well yeah like when the Europeans came in and you know discovered cacao they thought wow this is amazing but it's so bitter why don't we add a fuck ton of sugar and make it that much better but actually the beauty of cacao is that it's earth it's raw it's bitter but it's like that is it's such I'm a
1: ticketing. I'm getting the impression that you like to get to the heart of the matter. There's something about this story, your ayahuasca story, being involved in forensic mental health hospital, which I have this feeling, maybe it's because my third eye is really open. I'm not sure. <laughs> but it's like, it's beautiful. It's really beautiful.
0: Yeah, I just, I love to get to the crux yeah. of it. It's also me like too. the Virgo in me. That's just, mm. I want to... Yeah, dissolve any kind of illusion, and just to like excavate and exercise. Yeah, yeah,
1: that's what's the most efficient way, isn't it? It's like if you just get to the root and like get to the root in an ecological way, like you said with grace. You know, like I have like put myself into very severe, like fucked up ego death states from like going too hard, trying to get to the truth too quickly. It's like aiming towards the truth. And, like, taking breaks when it's necessary, you know, so.
0: Yeah, well, there's something to be said about the nervous system as well. How can we be kind in our nervous system and nourish it because we can actually end up Mm -hmm. re-traumatising in the process. A
1: hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's one of the dangers. This is something I speak about a lot in my work is, like, the dangers in the personal development world and the spiritual world... Um, And the neotantra world, like essentially where we are constantly opening into peak state experiences without regulating the nervous system and helping ourselves kind of come back to ground before then opening again. You know, it's like we can really shatter our system if we keep doing things like that or keep digging into our psyches before our system is actually ready to reveal itself. And that's super important because while it might seem like healing, if we shatter our nervous system, like you say, that is re-traumatizing. And that itself is actually the trauma because the trauma itself is a dysregulated nervous system. So seeking for the stories to try and get the healing, but doing it in a way that shatters the nervous system is the trauma, just reenacting itself, which is kind of a bit elusive and a bit sneaky, but it can definitely play out that way for people. It's often our traumas that stop us from feeling pleasure And sometimes our traumas that cause us to take pleasure from things that can be really toxic for us, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's really important that we, if we wish to experience pleasure, that we process our traumas 100%. Like that's what I do in my one-to-ones. That's what I do in the course that I run, which is called Pleasure After Trauma. Like totally, like those two things are like mushed up next to each other. But it's like the way in which that, that trauma is approached Okay, so the way in which that trauma is approached is really important. So, like one of the things that I talk about, so I was in the neo tantra world for ten years. Like I started my journey in neo tantra. I'm 35 now. I started it when I was 23. I was in India. I was studying with a gama. Which, if anyone knows who agama are, they're kind of like the big daddy of the, the current neo-tantra world in certain ways. A lot of the people who are in Australia in the in the conscious sexuality world have gone through Agama or have been impacted by Agama in some way. And I'm not going to name all of those people, but a lot of the major schools or um, personal development industries have been touched very directly um, by that school but what I saw in that world not just in Agama but like in Australia as well and what I saw for myself is people who had very deep trauma doing what you know you've described which is like group work which was not trauma-informed opening the body like in huge peak state experiences or having major cathartic experiences which were not regulated And then they might open their nervous system, definitely open the nervous system, which means feeling more sensation, which can also mean feeling more orgasmicness, which feels really good. But what happens to the actual relational trauma that caused that shutdown and that numbness and that lack of connection to pleasure in the first place, it gets shoved in deeper. So what does that look like? That looks like huge orgasmic activation, but fucked up relational experiences because your relational trauma gets shoved in more, it gets more numb and it gets, amplified so that means like now I can have amazing sex but I'm even more attracted to narcissists or like toxic people or people who complement my own traumas in whatever way and that itself is really traumatic so when I created this course so this course is a trauma-informed course specifically for people who've been through trauma to feel pleasure power and openness again it's the only course I know that is trauma-informed for people who've been through trauma I don't know any other course that is like that And the reason why I built it was specifically because I had seen the detrimental effects on myself after 10 years of being in that world. And I had seen so many people go through those effects. And I was like, we definitely need to process our trauma because I know what it feels like to be completely numb from shutdown from sexual trauma. I know what that feels like. It's totally devastating. No one wants to live like that. The only way to reconnect as we're talking about unwinding numbness, unwinding freeze is the overwhelm that's underneath, aka the trauma. So it's like we do need to digest and move and integrate that trauma 100% to connect to pleasure. But I personally am not willing to do that in a way that then fucks up some other part of my life or causes my nervous system to be busted open and I don't think it's necessary like at this point I don't think it's necessary to bust people open in that way and I think that in many other areas of their life it dysregulates them so I agree a hundred percent that in order to feel more pleasure we do need to digest our trauma but there are different ways of doing that and I think that in order not to have a dysregulated nervous system that's really orgasmic, but a totally hot mess, mm-hmm. um, it's very important to be aware that the way in which we are doing that is in a trauma-informed way. So I just got really passionate because I've just seen so much abuse in that world that it just it, it, it drives me wild. Like it just drives me totally wild. So I'm very, very passionate about this specific piece.
0: Yeah. No, I I feel that. I feel that a lot. And yeah, there's something to be said about like these peak experiences that are are so addictive. Yeah. So addictive. And I think that's probably why the abuse and why the trauma happens because it's like that. it's like a, it becomes, it becomes a goal. Yeah. Why I want to go to, this is why I want to go to ISTA because I know that this peak experience is possible there and then Mm. the the relational issues that can ensue well that kind of happens after you know after the that that experience and then you go back and keep doing the programs and you keep um, immersing yourself in the work and so it kind of just becomes a cycle as well
1: yeah it can Yeah. yeah And then that's like its own version of Hungry Ghost, right? Like there might not yeah, be so any substances yeah. involved, but it's still the Hungry Ghost. And actually I find this thing so fascinating. So I'm really interested in personality disorders. Like like I'm kind of obsessed with them, like really into it because I have been, I have CPTSD, which is healing, um, complex post-traumatic stress disorder. For people who don't know, that means like multiple Complex trauma is not just one incident that happens as with PTSD. Um, But because of this kind of shape of my nervous system, like I have been attracted to people who complement that shape of my nervous system, AKA, a lot of people with personality disorders. And the thing about people who have high trauma, particularly childhood trauma, and people who have specifically the cluster B personality disorders. So like Narcissism, sociopathy, BPD, histrionic, all of those people are high sensation seeking.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. And so we go to that really intense peak experience and then the very low lows because it feels like home. Right. And I think that there's something, it's like I realized it's like, oh, wow, the way that my life is chaos and that I'm chaos and the way I keep being attracted to these types of people there are numbers of different reasons behind it but it's also that the fact that dysregulation and high peaks and low lows feels just like my home of origin right and so I go to people who reinforce that and I go to experiences that reinforce that so for me like part of my own healing and I see the evidence in my life now like I am so much more stable than I've ever been in my life I have a stable home life This is the first time that I've lived in one place for more than 12 months in seven years, right? So that's the level of dysregulation. Like I have a really beautiful, stable relationship. We don't ever fight. It's just so healthy and nourishing. My friendships are stable. My money is stable. Like everything is stable. And it's because I have very strongly done everything that I can to stabilize my nervous system and instead of chasing the peak highs go for the subtlety and the stability and like what I'm finding and it's taken a long time to because that was an addiction in me you know those types of people and those types of experiences like that was a really strong addiction in myself to keep seeking those experiences and for a while I had to go through it got very confusing it's like well is this stability or am I bored you know it was really like which one is this? And so like over time, like I've been able to understand the difference between stability and boredom and stability actually feels really good now. And the the feelings, the positive feelings that I have now, it's like I'm much more in my body when I have those feelings. It feels deeper, it feels gentler, it feels softer, and it actually feels more open than it did before. Like before those positive feelings felt kind of like, like this kind of shooting out and like it was ecstatic, but it was very like kind of sharp in a way, you know? So I think that um seeking those peak states and the CPTSD nerve system, history of trauma, the ways, the types of people that we're attracted to, I think that those things are all connected. And I think that finding that stability and safety within the system is really key to rewiring all facets
0: of that yeah and the subtleties are not so subtle actually Mm. they they permeate through every part of us through every Mm. part of our life they're there very subtly Mm -hmm. but they're creating their their own flavor in the space yeah yeah Mm. and also i feel like living in this kind of more slower like more aware state actually has more longevity then totally and i think the peak states is kind of like what creates this addictive hunger uh state as well
1: i agree yeah like yeah.
0: it really is very similar to you know like substance addiction as well and like that codependency and
1: uh,
0: mm. wow it's really inter. it's so
1: complex and interrelated and fascinating isn't it mm-hmm. It's just so interesting how we work. I don't think that like peak states are bad. Like there's nothing bad about peak states, but I think it's just about like your naming there. It's like just being aware of our habits of how we, just like with what we're talking about with plant medicines, it's like how am I engaging with this? Mm. You know? And if I'm like in craving, like how can I just be with the craving rather than having to get my next hit, you know?
0: Hmm. yeah and that feeling that comes in as well like I need this and like this this, this goal orientation as well
1: kind mm. of
0: particular sensation and vibration that I feel like when that addictive state comes in
1: yeah what do you when you notice that addictive state come in like how do you be with it
0: um so actually just like start moving much slower and I just mm. like okay where is this coming from and I communicate that mm. I communicate with this state and also mm. I soothe myself a lot like that's beautiful okay yeah because yeah. I feel like there's this child inside that's just oh, I just want to be soothed and I just want this thing like hey it, it's okay it's okay mm. you don't eat more chocolate <laughs> yeah you're not gonna starve you're gonna be all right yeah
1: yeah I think that's a, it's a really beautiful loving self-compassionate way and aware way to be with it
0: Mm, yeah and slowing down just slowing down Mm addiction is about now and it's I need it and it's got to be instant and yeah that instant gratification which we're really surrounded by in this world like with our phones and the the Mm. availability of everything like there's everything is possible in our world I mean things are a little bit different now because of COVID and various restrictions but I'm noticing even with that like wow I can't leave Australia and Mm. Australia now I was supposed to go to New Zealand today and my flight was cancelled and just noticing that feeling of like oh whoa I can't Mm. leave but I want to go now I don't want to go in a month or in a couple of weeks and just sitting with that and just surrendering to it as well Mm. yeah
1: that's the practice isn't it the surrender (laughs) to what is the acceptance yeah. We are a very um I think and, and dope I'm not saying this to shame it, dopamine is a good neurotransmitter, but like we're a very like dopamine fueled society with the bright colours on our phones and yeah. things that's one click away. And I notice for myself that they're being because I also want the instant gratification. <laughs> like I'm like, why is it taking so long? Like, <laughs> I'm an Aries. <laughs> I want to be patient. Uh, you know, no. so I'm like, now, like, I, I want it yesterday. <laughs> so it's like developing patience. I, I'm trying, <laughs> but like, it's like, and especially like growing up with the internet, like, all of us mm-hmm. have grown up in our generation have grown up with the internet. So yeah. it's like accepting that some things take time to build. Is like, challenging for me at least
0: mm-hmm. yeah Freya I just wanted to thank you so much for joining me mm. today I feel like we got into some really juicy topics and got really um yeah yeah strong at some points and mm. feeling you as just this wealth of knowledge like you are a well and I've just been drinking up from you oh,
1: and just sharing like sharing your well of knowledge like I've just loved I liked that like there were places where we didn't agree and I liked that you know like you have such a deep and wide experience you know of your own life and practice and study and you know it's so easy to talk and share with people who are at a like high caliber so thanks so much for having me and for sharing your experience and asking beautiful questions and it's been like really a pleasure for me so I'm really glad that um I'm just like one of the things because Sigourney's a friend of mine and I really love her and I feel really proud of her I'm like she's got a really good woman doing these podcasts
0: like that's (laughs) really great
1: and I'm just I feel really happy like for your and the wild like for the wild grace community that they're obviously like getting a high quality of content delivered to them you know so like mm. thanks for adding quality to the world because there's a lot of not great quality in the world so thanks darling so, yeah. Yeah, yeah
0: and I think there's really something to be said about you know like I feel like we, we have a lot in common in terms of our mm. past and the way that we're moving through the world because we're, we've been in both of the worlds yeah and we're merging and I think mm. that is the way that um this work can continue to ripple out into the space. Yeah. i feel like there's a new wave coming in actually I'm feeling that the the people mm. our age who are starting to bring in something new there's like a like a more refined medicine that's coming in
1: yeah yeah i agree it's more intelligent and integrated god yeah. i sound so elitist <laughs> but whatever i think it's true more intelligent, <laughs> so I'm so superior.
0: Oh well, <laughs> yeah. And it's controversial as well because it's different and it does have a yeah. Th- there's a few tweaks. It's an upgrade. It we're,
1: we're, an evolved. upgrade. We're,
0: we're, we're just evolved. What can you say? <laughs> evolved version. Oh
1: right. We're the most evolved. <laughs>